Leviticus chapter 16 is a chapter that deals with one primary event in the life of the people of Israel, and that is the Day of Atonement. I'm not going to take the time to read this entire chapter. I know when some of you saw the text was Leviticus 16, uh, some of you just really began to you know, wonder if you were going to beat the Methodists to the restaurants this morning. Um, you probably maybe will. I'm not real sure about that. The book of Leviticus is the graveyard of Bible reading plans. Everybody starts off at the beginning of the year, and they start in January, and they make it through Genesis and all those exciting stories and some strange stories. They make it through Exodus and struggle through that last part, but then they hit Leviticus. And it's all these things that we say, doesn't, well, that doesn't apply to us. And we even have pastors in our day who are saying things like, we need to unhitch the Old Testament from the New Testament. I, I want to try to understand what they're saying, but let me tell you that the New Testament is clear that the Old Testament is an essential part of understanding the work of the New Testament. The Bible in the New Testament, the writers constantly quote the Old Testament. When the preachers preached in the book of Acts, they went to the Old Testament. Paul says clearly that the accounts in the Old Testament were given for our admonition. And Paul also says that the things in the holy days, the Sabbath days in the Old Testament, were a shadow of which Christ was the substance. He was the body. He was the one that was showing them what was taking place. Last week we saw that as we celebrate atonement, we are celebrating because we remember our redemption. Do you remember when Christ saved you? Do you remember where you were when Christ saved you? Brother Nard just shared his testimony of where he was, where he was reading through the gospel. And many of us have an account similar, not in the same place, but every one of us, we may come to Christ from different places, but we all came to the cross when God drew us in calling us to salvation. And I thank God for the day that I was saved. I shared my testimony before I was just a child, but I was as big a sinner as any sinner that's ever sinned. And I'm glad for the grace of God that drew me to salvation. So when we look at this Old Testament account and we see this Day of Atonement, we could look at the number of places through this chapter that will talk about atonement. He talks about an atonement for the priest and for his own family. In verse 6, Aaron shall make an atonement for himself and for his house. Again, in verse 11, he makes an atonement for himself and for his house. Verse 16, he makes an atonement for the holy place. And for the tabernacle of the congregation, again in verse 17, he makes an atonement for himself, his household, and for all the congregation of Israel. He speaks about making an atonement for the altar in verse 18. Down in verse 30, he says the priest will make an atonement for you, for the people. And then in verse 33, he encapsulates the entire thing. He shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary, an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation, for the altar, and he shall make an atonement for the priests and for all the people of the congregation. Now notice what he says in verse 34. He says he makes an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins. But here's an interesting phrase, once a year. Leviticus 16 establishes the Day of Atonement, which was a key day in the life of the nation of Israel. As their sins were atoned, the high priest in this chapter, he will say, does not go into the Holy of Holies. Because of what Aaron's two sons had done back in chapter 10, the last event that is described in the book of Leviticus, as the two sons of Aaron, as they sought to offer fire to God, and the Bible says they offered strange fire 
We don't know exactly what form that took and what that looked like, but it was not according to what God had said. And so from this point, God says only the high priest can come in, and he can only do this once a year. And it's for all the sins of the people, but it's just for that one year. This is explained to us in the book of Hebrews, and you can go later and read in Hebrews chapter 9 the explanation of how the tabernacle in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing. It was a shadow of the real in the New Testament. Many things about the, old te- about the tabernacle, but the one part of the tabernacle that was very clear that man was separated in his relationship with God was the veil that was between the holy of holies and the holy place. In that veil, it meant that man was separated from entering into the presence of God. It reminds us of what took place in Genesis chapter 3 when God separated himself. Before the fall, Adam and Eve had a clear, close relationship with God. They walked with God daily in the cool of the day. But when sin came, that separation took place. And that veil reminds us of that. But I'm also reminded from the Gospel of Matthew that that veil, when Jesus died, that veil was torn in two. What was the meaning of that? It meant that 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 shadow was showing that the reconciliation was possible, that the restoration was possible, that man could be restored in his relationship with God, not by doing enough good works, not by being good enough, but through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our sacrifice, We can be restored to that relationship. Paul makes this connection in in the book of Colossians chapter 2 when he says that those days were shadows, but the body is Christ. The reality, the substance is Christ. Both the shadow and the substance tell us two important truths that I want to give you this morning. And I hope that you'll understand. These, These are so basic and so simple that often we say, boy, I'm glad I have a relationship with God. But it's more than just saying we have a relationship with God. Everyone wants deep down, they have a hunger for that connection, that relationship. It is what we were designed for. It is what we were born for. And we seek to satisfy it in all sorts of ways. We seek to satisfy that, as as someone has put it, a God-sized vacuum or hole in us. But only God can fill that hole. There are some here this morning, you are looking for something to satisfy. You are looking, you cannot find that thing in your life that will satisfy. And you may have even looked, you may have looked at some sinful things, you may have looked at some sacred things, some religious things to try to satisfy, but only Jesus Christ, He is the only one that can can satisfy that and can bring us into relationship with God. Two things this morning, very quickly, the challenge of the atonement and the completion of the atonement. What is the challenge of the atonement? That is a severed relationship. Boy, it is so important for us, and I'm not talking about them. I'm not talking about all the exterior things, but when we come into the presence of God, we too often come into his presence with a very casual attitude. Now, I'm not talking about our attire. Um, When I was a kid, I detested having to wear ties. Um, Some of you men can relate to that and understand. And so as I got older, I had to wear them all the time. Boy, you you didn't come to church without a tie on. You definitely didn't get up and preach. The Holy Spirit couldn't be on you without a tie. And the Holy Spirit just wrapped himself up in that tie. And that was 
That was how you knew. And then about the time I got used to wearing ties, they changed the rules. And now we don't have to wear ties. And I had just gotten used to it. But that's not the casual that I'm talking about. I'm not talking about the, the, the less formal facilities that we are in. And, uh, you know, we don't have the structure and the stained glass and all those kind of things. I'm talking about the attitude of our hearts, whether it's in worship publicly or whether it's in our worship as we come into the presence of God. We need to be reminded of the greatness and the holiness and the wonder of the God that we are coming before. That sense of reverence. Why? Because it is an amazing thing to come into the presence of God. It is an amazing thing every single time we bow in prayer. Every time we worship as a body of believers. Every time we kneel in our, beside our bed and pray. Every time we bless food at a, at a meal. We are entering into the presence of God and we have the right to even talk to our Heavenly Father. And we have that relationship. That's because that relationship was severed. We were born for that. And yet it is God that restores us. It is the atonement. In fact, in the New Testament, sometimes the word atonement is almost used interchangeably with the word reconciliation. Aren't you glad that you have been reconciled to God? Aren't you glad that you can come into the presence of God and you can speak to Him as friend with friend? In the Old Testament, Abraham was called the friend of God. But Jesus said to his disciples, I have called you friends. We have that friendship. That relationship was severed, but atonement accomplishes. What does it complete? Well, it accomplishes a sovereign restoration. That's what God wants to do. God wants to bring us into fellowship with him. Let me tell you what that does. Most of the anxiety and the worry and the concern that we have, though we may not realize it, most of the things that weigh on our mind are things that concern us and keep us because we're, we're not satisfied, we've not yet found our satisfaction in Christ. Or we are trying to find that satisfaction through other means. We're trying to earn let me tell you that there are people that I know that love God and I believe they are saved, but they are miserable in their Christianity because they think they have to somehow earn the delight of their Heavenly Father. They have to work for it the more that they do. And the problem with that is, is that you will never feel like you do enough or, on the other hand, you will somehow feel like you've done enough. And you'll never do enough. And that burden weighs, and some people are just miserable. They, they've not yet found Christ, and I have come that you might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. And they have that life, but they're not enjoying the abundant, delightful Christian life that God has for us. And they're completely satisfied to come occasionally and just sit and endure another service and endure, well, I have to read my Bible, or I have to do this. And I don't, I don't look and I don't judge anybody. I don't try to determine your sense of spirituality based on the expression on your face during the service. You ought to be thankful that I don't. Because some of you look miserable. If some of y'all feel half as miserable as you look, I pity you. I especially pity the person sitting next to you. But we... 
we are saved, but where's the joy? Where's the delight in our salvation? We have been brought into relationship with Christ. What do we have in this work, this atoning work of Christ? It is far, far better than this Old Testament Leviticus 16 work. In chapter 16, God tells what He will do about this sin. He provided this, and it was a wonderful provision. He provided it for the people of Israel. But He has shown us, as we saw last week, that what we have in Christ is far superior. It's far better. And the writer of Hebrews will take the entire book and he will talk about Jesus is better. He's better than the Old Testament writings. He's better than the Old Testament prophets. He's better than the Old Testament sacrifices. He's greater than the Old Testament priests. He is greater than the Old Testament tabernacle. His covenant is a greater covenant than the Old Testament covenant. And the sacrifices that were offered... In the Old Testament, the sacrifices were animals. But Christ came as a human being. His sacrifice was a human sacrifice. He was chosen from among men as our high priest. He was different in His deity. The Old Testament, the sacrifices were creatures. But in the New Testament, in Christ, it is the Creator that is the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, the sacrifice was involuntary. Not one animal ever stepped up and said, I'll be the sacrifice. But in Christ Jesus, Jesus willingly laid down His life and says, I offer it to you for the sacrifice of sins. The Old Testament was a, a priest carrying a sacrifice. But in the New Testament, it's Christ presenting Himself. The satisfaction of the New Covenant the new sacrifice. The Old Testament, it was for one year and it was repeated. But in Christ, Hebrews tells us that He has one has died once and for all. Remember when I was a kid, you'd hear that phrase thrown out to kids that try to get you to straighten up. I'm going to told you this once and for all. And then a little bit later, they'd say, I'm going to tell you this is the last time I'm telling you. It was never once and for all, but I'm glad that when Jesus died once and for all, it is the last time that it will ever take place. It is unique. In the Old Testament, there were thousands of sacrifices, but in the New Testament, there's only one sacrifice, the person of Jesus Christ. In the sinlessness of the sacrifice, in the Old Testament, every sacrifice ever offered was part of a sin-cursed creation. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, Christ is sinless both in nature and in action. The redemption in the Old Testament was a covering, but John chapter 1 verse 29 says us that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. What we have in Christ is far, far greater. And it is that restoration. We could talk about the covenant and all that's involved in the testament. The Bible in Hebrews talks about the death of the testator, the one who is the maker of the testament. I'm glad that, you know, in earthly wills and testaments, it's divided. And the more one person gets, the less another person gets. But I'm glad that in the testament of our covenant maker and the in the testament of our savior all of us got all that god has for us it's not a portion for you and a portion for you and a portion for me it is all that he is for all of us that's the glory and the beauty of the new testament the cost of it in the old testament the priest offered the life of another but in christ he offered his own life 
what was completed, the work that was done. Oh, we could say so much about that. I love John 17, 4. Jesus says to the Father, I have glorified you on this earth. The work that you have given me to do, I have finished. When Jesus was on the cross, when he says it is finished, it was more than just his life passing. It was the atoning work that he had been sent to do. It was completed. It was finished. It was done. Reconciliation was complete in Christ. How do I celebrate the atonement? Let me just say a word or two about this and I'll be done. First of all, it means that I can have a relationship with God. This morning, please listen to me carefully. If you are trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ for your salvation, you are trusting in shifting sand. If you think you're going to heaven because you are a member of Central Baptist Church, I'm sorry, you are sadly mistaken. If you think you're going to heaven because you're of a particular denomination, you're sadly mistaken. Your parents may be godly people, but you're not going to heaven because of your parents' righteousness. You may be a good person, but you're not going to heaven because of what you have done. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. God has sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to atone so that you could be brought into a relationship with Him. He loves you that much. So you could be reconciled to God. Well, I'm a pretty good person. There's no reason. No, it is our sins and our iniquities, God said, that have separated us from Himself. He is a holy God. We can be reconciled. This morning, if you have been reconciled, Let me ask you this. Are you resting in the work of Jesus Christ? Are you enjoying the full life that God has for you? Or are you still trying to measure up? Are you still trying to find God's delight in your own works and in what you do? What a beautiful thing happened in my life when I realized it's not up to me to please God. I am God is pleased with me in Jesus Christ, and what I do that pleases Him comes out of that truth, not to make that truth so. What I do is because He loves me. I don't try to get God to love me. I serve Him, and I live for Him, and I delight in Him, and I find my deepest soul satisfaction in Him because He loves me. Because He sent His Son to die on the cross. Look, don't seek your satisfaction in all these other things. Don't try to find fulfillment in the things of this world. Don't try to find fulfillment in accomplishments. Boy, if I could just, if I could just get this promotion at work, if I could just get this degree, if I could just make this, have this accomplishment, if people just recognized me, if I, if I could just be known, if, if I could just do this, if I could do enough good works... All of that can take place, and you'll still feel that emptiness. And there are believers that for some reason have not learned to be satisfied by the grace of God. And God, in His great love, wherewith He has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, He loved us. And there is nothing we can do to earn that. There's nothing we can do to unearn that love. As we do that and as we demonstrate 
to this world around us, the relationship that we have. Someone shared with me just this morning a conversation. And the first thing that came into this conversation was, I know the solution to what's going on in your life. Let me tell you about Jesus. Jesus, we know we used to sing, Jesus is the answer for the world today. And we say that, and we know that it's true for our salvation, but do our lives reflect that? Are we celebrating what we have in Christ? Then I get to come before my Father, and when I bow my head to pray, I'm not praying long distance. I am seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And one of these days, I am going to be present with Christ. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And what a hope, what a promise that we have that when those that we love and we care about, when they are gone, their body may lay in a casket. We may place their body in the ground, but it is nothing but a shell. It is nothing but an empty husk from which their soul has been delivered and their soul is at rest with God. And we can trust and be blessed by that. Why? Because we know that they have been reconciled to God by Jesus Christ. Does the reconciliation of atonement mean anything at all? You better believe it does. Because it means that I am now in a right relationship with God. I stand justified in Jesus Christ. And one day I will stand with Christ in the presence of God. What a blessing that we have been reconciled. The reconciliation of the atonement. I've thought about a number of ways to finish this truth and finish this thought. But I don't know any better way than just the way the truth of Scripture. And to ask you this morning, have you been reconciled to God? I will say with Paul this morning, I beseech you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. If you are reconciled to him, are you delighting in your relationship with him? Is he your, is he your close, ever-present friend? Or is he just a name that you throw about? Is he just a part of your life? Some of y'all know what a wagon wheel looks like. Some of the younger generation may not necessarily grasp all that, but you know what a, a wagon wheel has the hub in the middle? It has spokes that go out. Very often in our life, Jesus Christ is just one of the spokes. We're at the center, and there's our family, and there's our job, and there's our hobbies, and there's our church, and oh yeah, there's Jesus. And maybe we feel like Jesus is the strongest and the main spoke in our life, but he's just one of many things going on in our lives. Jesus as one preacher put it, doesn't want first place in your life. Jesus wants all the places. And the relationship that we have with him should be the hub of our life. And every other thing in our life ought to flow out of that relationship. Every other thing ought to flow out of that fellowship that we have with him because Jesus Christ died for us. Are you glad that you're reconciled to God this morning? 
Are you glad that you're brought into fellowship with him? Rejoice in it. Find your satisfaction in it. Father, thank you for this truth. I pray that this week as we think about your atonement, your death, that we will be reminded that it is more than just about getting us out of hell and getting us into heaven. It is about a relationship with you as we walk every single day. Father, I pray that if there's one here today that does not know you as their Savior, this will be the day that they trust in Christ and they receive the effect of the atonement. Father, I pray for those of us who have been reconciled that we will live and walk every day in that truth. We ask and we pray this.